Hello, my name is Tom Jensen, and welcome to the Out on a Limb podcast brought to you by the Vanda High Company. This month, we're talking about all things June, and especially as you see around me, all things roses. June is a great month for people to be out in their landscapes. The kids are finally uh, home from school, vacations are starting, the warm weather is here, and it's time to put those finishing touches on your landscape. It happens also to be Rose Month. Roses are uh, plants that have been with us for thousands of years. We're in Roman gardens, even within the Roman Senate, so they have a very, very long history. But more recently, roses have been developed that help us in the landscape. What you see around me are all different versions of shrub roses. They come in pinks, they come in whites, they come in yellows, every color but blue. But we're talking about roses that have very little care and very little maintenance. It's not like the old-fashioned tea roses. The roses you see here happen to be in full bloom right now but they will actually do this two or three times throughout the year, blooming right into November and probably up to the last frost. They also do not need the strong winter protection that old-fashioned roses have needed, and they are relatively insect and disease-free. So in other words, you can sit back just as I am in this rose garden and enjoy the fragrance and the smell and the flowers. It's also a time in June to think about how you are going to enjoy your landscape. Uh, all around me you can see ideas of this, again, setting up a table and chair amongst the roses, being out on uh, your backyard deck or being out around the pool or making use of your spa. Uh, later in this podcast, we're going to be talking with Andy Vandehei, president of the Vandehei Company who will tell us all about pools and spas, the benefits of them, how to take care of them, and how you can make them yours going into the uh, hotter months of July. So June literally is let's think out of the box. Uh, there are other plants surrounding me here that begin blooming in June, things like summer sweet, which give a very strong fragrance, kind of like sp a spicy uh, herbal fragrance that do their best in June as well. And of course, don't forget all those annuals in those baskets we told you to pot up and use last May. Now is the time to start caring for them and giving them some fertilizer. Uh, as we head into June, it is not uncommon that your pots have used up all the beginning fertilizer that was in them when you bought them. So this is the time to begin using water-soluble fertilizers mixing it in a, your gallon of water to directions, and maybe watering those plants once a month or so. Getting back to roses, once you see these big flowers coming up in a display like this, what is the next thing that you might need to do? Well, you do want to prune off the old roses as they are done. Uh, wait until they simply don't look uh, to your expectations anymore and prune off all of the old roses. Ultimately, you'll be taking off the entire stem where the buds came from, and you want to prune down to a leaf that is made up of five individual leaflets. 
Uh, if you prune to that depth, you're going to get even better flowers than what you're seeing here. It is also a time that you would go about fertilizing your particular roses. Uh, there are many easy ways to fertilize it. The best is to come out to a, a garden center such as Vandehuis and look for products that are all in one rose care. This includes the fertilizer, this includes the insecticide, many of them even include the fungicide. So that when you put the fertilizer down, you're taking care of everything at once. How much easier could that be as well? And since we are considered uh, going out on a limb on these podcasts, you can even have fun with some of these very interesting tree form roses. Uh, these are great for a patio when you want to bring the rose up uh, to smelling height, if you would, or adding height to a container uh, as you replant it for the summer months. You care for these, identical to the talk that we have been having uh, today. Uh, but you do have to realize that these roses will not be hardy in your landscape. You either are going to have to bring them in or treat them as annuals. So I welcome you to the June uh, podcast as we head back to the studio. Again, you're going to be meeting Andy Vandehei as we discuss pools and spas. And then Todd and I are going to talk more about how you use these beautiful roses in your landscape. Glad you came. Look forward to being with you later in the show. Okay, we're here today with Andy Vandehei. Andy is the president of Vandehei Company and one of the uh, one of our pool of pool experts. Give that little uh, shout out to uh, for that. Tom's not here, Todd. Shout out that pun for to Tom Jensen. Um, but so, Andy, I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, pools and spas and outdoor living. So when people are thinking of uh, maybe adding a pool to their landscape, what's the best place for them to start? Well, the pl as with anything, the planning stage is, is most important. There's that old adage, you know, proper prior planning prevents poor performance. Say that really fast five times. Not me. Um, and that is where it starts with pool design with virtually any outdoor living type of space. So you, you know what you want to do, you get excited about it, and then from there, that is basically the foundation or the building blocks of a successful project. So what's the most important part of that planning project? Well, basically, when you're looking at planning for a pool, it's going to start, again, with a, another cliche saying, location, location, location. Sure. So you want to make sure that, okay, is this the proper spot. I can't tell you how many times that I visit a site that maybe had a pool put in, you know, years earlier that, that, you know, they didn't have a professional. We weren't involved in that part of it. And it's like, oh, I wish they would have moved the pool here. I wish they would have raised it up a foot. If they only would have raised it down a foot or turned it or put in more of a free flowing pool versus a rectangle. And it would have been that much better. So it starts with location. And then from there, you need to, you know, ask yourself, how are we going to use the space? Okay, what types of activities do we want to, you know, do around the pool? Right, yeah. um, how do we want to tie in the other outdoor living areas? You know, th those types of things. So what do you find are, are reasons that people uh, choose to add a pool to the landscape or, or their home? Well, th there's a variety of, of things. I think people are, lifestyles are very busy nowadays. 
And, you know, it's the old staycation adage, you know, where people don't have weeks to go abroad or go to, you know, the islands and cottages can be a lot of work. I know we have a lot of, of new pool owners that sold their cottage because they go up and they work every weekend. So you work at home and then you go up when you want to relax and then you're we're working on the cottage, maintaining it. So that staycation is probably a big thing. Um, one of the most popular, you know, the, the other thing that people really, you know, and it's kind of surprising, but a good majority of our pool, first time pool owners are older couples and it's, it's grandchildren, you know, yeah. they, they want to, yeah. And you can, I you can relate those. to that. Yeah. Um, I don't have any yet and, uh, hopefully we've got a while for that. Yeah. Um, never know any minute, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> at, at any rate, it's, it's one of those things that it brings their families together. You know, the, the, the grandkids love to see, you know, oh, yeah. grandma and grandpa or Mima or whatever they, they call them and spend that time, uh, in the pool, um, from, a uh, families that have you know kids in grade school and high school, uh, they put it in because that's they want their house to be the hangout, so that the the families they know who their kids' friends are. They can you know and having three daughters, I really enjoyed the intimidation factor of <laughs> meeting these young boys when they came over, and uh, you get to size them up a little bit and and kind of set the tone and and really uh, be a part of your kids' lives from that standpoint too. So that's another big, big reason to do that sort of project. Yep. And kids, my, my grandkids are big swimmers. They, they're taking lessons right now and they're still pretty young. Uh, but they would love to have something like that. And uh, I'll have to talk to my wife, see what we can do now. Uh, also another part of, of our outdoor living, uh, feel at Vandehuis is to add a, a hot tub or a spa. Um, that, we do that a lot around pools and, and how do you connect those two? Do they, it's not quite always the same, reason that they've got a pool or or a spa well when we're looking at spas the the big difference is you can use a spa year-round in our environment so that's a a definite benefit people will do pools and spas for different reasons sometimes we just don't have the room for a pool um, and or the budget right Uh, other times you know people have therapy you know issues where you know, as we get older, our muscles get sore, our, our, our bodies ache a little bit more. And a lot of the pools or a lot of the spas will have, you know, uh, things that can help uh, with muscle ailments, aches and pains. From a design standpoint, it, it's very, very similar where, again, we're looking at location, location, location. With spas, we want to keep things maybe a little bit closer so that in the winter months, you know, you're not spending four hours to shovel a path to the spa. Yep, yep because you're less likely to use it. Right. Where pools, we want them close, but maybe they're off to the side because there's a good portion of the year where you know, you're not able to use it and you don't want your yard to uh, become unusable sure. because now a portion of it is, is completely covered up and, and non-usable. And so. I'm guessing similar uh, reasons too. Uh, the, the spas are maybe for people more my age where the pools are for people with some younger kids or grandkids. But uh, I, we have a hot tub, and we love our hot tub, and I need to buy a new hot tub. Uh, but uh, I know I see, a guy. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I see. Uh, I, I can see where that's a, a great thing for people in the, you know, maybe uh, later half of their careers or even in retirement. Yeah, it, it varies as far as as the why mm-hmm. people want it, but the the biggest thing is just with the craze of of health. You know, sure. whether it be even a pool, we have older couples with no grandchildren that, that get really excited about a pool because they can go out there, they can float around, they can relax. Um, 
pool aerobics is a big thing, walking in the pool. So if people, you know, aren't able to go out on the treadmill anymore because they have bad knees, to just kind of walk around in circles in the pool takes that stress off the joint. So it's yeah. very, very good therapy from an exercise standpoint. The spa, I mean, to get out there and and have, uh, as I chatted with last night with a couple that we'll be doing a, a spa for, you know, he wants to make sure that he can go and sit in the spa and, and have a glass of scotch and a stogie. They're a younger couple. Yeah. That's great. That's and pretty, great. pretty soon he won't be able to hold that that uh, glass of scotch because the kids will be splashing around. But yeah. it's another beautiful stage of life in which they can enjoy, you know, some time together as a family. So what tips can you give uh, people for uh, maybe little secrets about what they might need for a pool or a spa that they may not be thinking of? Well, you know, as far as the, the biggest thing is you want to partner with someone who can uh, work with you on the water chemistry. When we're dealing with pools with a lower water uh, temperature, mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier to keep the chemistry where it needs to be to have a safe uh, swim when you're out there. As the temperature gets higher and it's a smaller amount of water, typically in that of a spa, it's a little bit harder to control. So selecting a, a method, and there's several out there, that is going to be you know, easiest for you to maintain to have a safe, healthy swim is extremely important. One of the things that you don't want to do, and, and I, for one, will... I don't go in spas anymore at hotels and things right, like that. Yep, one, yep. Once you learn about pool chemistry and, and what's all involved with it, uh, big advice is if you go into a hotel and you smell chlorine, that does not mean that it's a safe pool to swim yeah. in. Um, so you, you want to watch that too. So that the healthy part is important because some uh, people's fixes are, okay, just dump more chlorine, just sure. dump this, dump yep. that. But there's a lot of systems out there now that are a lot healthier for the body. And let's face it, the skin is where your body absorbs so much. We don't want to be absorbing uh, toxins. What, what can you tell us that might be new or exciting in, in either pool or spa technology? Well, in terms of pool and spa technology, it's constantly evolving. We go to different shows and different vendor events, you know, every, every year, and there's always new things coming out. It's what's new. Um, there's new things that I would say that about half of those are awesome and will have success and not be future headaches. Right. Um, and the other half is, is you know, the, the risky half. So sure. what we try to do is we're on top of all of that, looking at all of that, but then we take the, okay, wait and see approach a little bit. We don't want to beta test uh, on our people. Like, for example, right now there's a new uh, spa product for spa chemistry, which we were just talking about earlier. I'm using that on my spa for about five, six months before we roll that out, um, if we roll it out. Because what people say things will do and what they actually do can sometimes be a sure. different thing. Yeah, there's still fads that trickle into every industry. A absolutely. The, the exciting things as far as the, the pool side goes is the technology. I mean, years ago it was, okay, I've got my pump, I've got my filter, and things just go on and off with a mechanical timer. Now, most of, of the, the pools we do have the opportunity to put an app on their phone and control, you know, their lights, their water temperature. Some even monitor, you know, the, the pool chemistry all through an app on your phone. So that's kind of new and exciting. There's uh, also technology out there, which I think is the coolest thing that we haven't uh, done yet because you need to find the right setting for it. But there's a projector system that we can mount inside the water and project on the side of the pool or on the bottom either a logo 
or even play a movie. So I just think it'd be the coolest thing in the world to be sitting floating, you know, in your pool and watch the movie Jaws. <laughs> Jamie was telling me about that. I asked him if we could get a Cubs logo put on the a bottom Cubs of the pool. Logo. Uh, he said no. That, I don't that, know why he would say it, no. It right? reacts with the pool, you know, <laughs> shell a little bit. Yes. It changes just, the chemistry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, well. Um, you know, fr from a spa standpoint too, uh, the energy efficiency uh, of a spa, which is not fun to talk about always, but it's an important part of owning a spa. If you have a very energy efficient spa, maybe you pay a little bit more up front, but that spa will pay for itself every day. Nice. So the energy efficient, the, the spas that, that we're using today will actually uh, try to capture some of that heat energy from the pumps to help heat the shell, thus heating uh, the water. So there's a lot of different things like that out there. Um, most recently, there's a new uh, speaker system. You know, in the past, you've seen spas where you need to pull up the speaker, right, and yep. after five years, the speakers drop, and you see people prop them up. Yep. Um, or you have to have, you know, a separate speaker system, and, and you sit in your spa, and it's like, oh, I forgot to do this. Um, now there's actually a speaker system that will use the shell of the spa um, to resonate and carry that sound. Nice. So you can be out there and you're like, where's the speakers? And people are looking all around and it has a very pure sound, a very, a very nice sound, um, deep bass to it. So, uh, that's kind of where things are going. They're constantly improving and, and trying to, um, find different things The therapy seats in spas now, um, rather than go out and paying, you know, $85 for a massage, you can sit in your spa and adjust the zones and create your own customizable massage. So there's a lot of things out there that are just different than what they were 10 years ago based upon technology. Okay, right after this, I'm calling Jamie, having me order me a spa. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Good Thanks, to have you Doc. around. Okay, now with us is Tom Jensen, landscape industry expert and a member of the Van Dye Company as well. We're gonna talk a little bit about Roses. It's you betcha. June, and June is Rose Month. That's, so let's dive in. That's right. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what your opinions of uh, the uh, new and developed uh, roses are. Oh, I think they're fabulous. Um, we're talking primarily about things like shrub roses, which hit the market a number of years ago, but they give you opportunities to have roses with half a third of the care that they used to have. Uh, all the color, even now the ability to cut roses if you like to bring them in. Right. And uh, with flowering times that extend all year long, it's no longer just June. Right, yep. And uh, we also have moved away from the old cardboard boxes that we used to sell in the garden centers that had the uh, the tea roses and the floribundas, and mainly just roots packed in peat moss, and then the box would get all wet and fall apart. And oh, exactly. You now, got them for three ninety nine, and yeah. but now they're potted. Uh, they're kept on their own rootstock, which is even much better. There's no grafting involved on mm -hmm. it, and you get a much stronger, vigorous plant uh, that is going to survive more than one year versus putting in the old bare root roses, which didn't have much chance, quite frankly, in our climate. It needed so much more care, spraying and, and Oh, my gosh, yes. It's yeah. a lot of work to get a rose to get one rose, let alone get more than one rose. Well, that's the other side of this coin. Old roses had lots of disease problems. Uh, if we had too much rain, you had diseases. If we had too much humidity, you had diseases. 
now a lot of that has been bred into the shrub roses that I had mentioned before so that you don't have to even be spraying. They, they may get the disease, but the leaf falls off, or it's just a few leaves, and the plant goes on. It doesn't uh, defoliate the whole plant by July 4th. Right, and there's been so many, so many advancements. Uh, the biggest one probably in the last, what is it now, 15, 20, almost 20 years? would be the knockout and the developments that have gone on from the knockout rose? Oh, exactly. And that's the hardiness aspect. Knockout was actually developed in Wisconsin, right down in the Milwaukee area by Bill Radler, who's developed a a lot of roses that we have in the industry now. But that brought hardiness in, where you can almost guarantee that if we aren't into the 25 or 30 below zero, that these roses are going to come through year after year. And most roses are still going to have some some tip dieback uh, that you'll have to prune off in the spring. Yeah, but it's not a, a not, it's not hard and it's not a big deal. Nope. Um, the, and, and it's simple for a homeowner because once the tip dieback has occurred, the branch is black. Right. Anything yep. below it that is still worthwhile is green. Right. So the advice is take off the black, leave the green, and you've done your spring pruning. A few days ago, we were talking about uh, Rugosa roses. So tell me more what you were thinking about those. Oh, Rugosa roses are the old-fashioned rose, if you would. Uh, They don't go back to Roman times as roses actually do. They they have found them back there in construction areas and so on. But they're kind of grandma's old rose, uh, the rose that used to ramble over the barn, down the fence line, or so on. Again, the hardiness, you can't kill them. Once they get established, they're rock hardy. They almost get to a point where you uh, hack them back to an inch of their life, and they just keep going. The the problem with them, though, if there is a problem with a rose that needs no care, is it only blooms in June. So it's a one-time bloom. You may get a 1,000 blooms, and it may be a, a showstopper, a car stopper in your neighborhood, but then you go the rest of the season without it. Right. The other interesting thing is they are salt tolerant. They're the roses you find out on the East Coast, along the shoreline, out in Martha's Vineyard in some of those areas. So uh, since de-icing salts get used by the tons and tons in our area, uh, they can be a great option for plants that aren't surviving due to salt. Yeah, they used to be marketed as a living fence. You yes. could plant them in, the, in your pastures and keep the animals in place. That's right. And they are, because of that, very heavily thorned. Yeah, they've got they, some They'll strip the skin off your arm if yeah. you fall into it. So, Tom, tell me uh, how we can use some of these shrub roses and other roses in our landscapes. Well, they always used to be specimens. You'd put one here, one there, or put it into the cutting garden. But now they've become part of the landscape, of, just like a juniper, just like anything else. You can mass plant them. Uh, so that you've got this huge bank of basically no-care color that runs from June up until frost. They can still be a specific specimen if you want to have it in that area. And you can even use them in containers in many instances now. It's a container you might have to bring into your garage or something like that, but they can live on for years. The other thing that has developed with it is we now have relatively hardy or hardy climbing roses for our area. Uh, William Baffin is probably the best one. It's been around for 20 years, but it will cover a wall, cover a a trellis or however you'd like to use it, and it just flowers like crazy. Now, with the climbers, you have that short bloom time again because they have rugosa and other history in it. 
So it only blooms in June. But you know, imagine a back wall that just turns into dripping with roses uh, in June. Again, it's what we all dream for when we see the pictures of them. So they've covered the whole gambit from a single specimen to large mass plantings uh, to containers. And now that doesn't mean the old-fashioned hybrid rose doesn't exist anymore. You just have to look for them. I mean, you know, many places don't carry them because there isn't as big a market on it. Right. But they are still available. So if you have your old favorites because you want to cut one occasionally and bring it inside, they still are available. They still have their same old troubles, but they're still here. We talk about our grandfathers a lot. My grandparents, yep. actually, both both my grandparents uh, were loved this little patch of of uh, uh, tea and uh, floribunda roses that they grew, and they tended to them very heavily, much more so than the rest of the garden. Yeah. And they had service berry and raspberries and everything else. Uh, this was the spot where they spent a lot of time, but they got some really nice flowers out of it. Yeah, I grew up uh, with my, as we talked about, with my grandfather's big garden where he had the old-fashioned ramblers that if the ball got lost in it, it stayed there yeah. because of all the thorns. But uh, every Father's Day was a, was a rose. He That's what he got for Father's Day were roses, but they're the old-fashioned type. He expected them to die. So it was very easy shopping on Father's Day. You just got him another rose, and away you went. And that's an excellent segue, because we have Father's Day coming up in just a little bit. So what's a good uh, rose to choose for your father? Or another plant. It doesn't have to be a rose. Oh, if you're climbing, just on a couple of thoughts, it's William Baffin, or there's a new one called Cherry Frost, uh, which is at least tested to be reliably hardy. But it's hard to give a specific, because it's all about color and form. Uh, double knockout, uh, pink knockout are very good performers that don't give you much trouble. But uh, there's even roses now that have red foliage, uh, which can be neat because they only bloom again in June. Uh, it's called red leafed, right. a very interesting name somebody thought of for yeah. it. But uh, it's a red leafed rose, and then you have that fo- uh, co- color in the flower, uh, foliage, excuse me, not just the flowers. And they go on and on. So those are very good ones. And if you're looking for containers or so on, play with some of the tree form roses where they've grafted it onto a single stem. And yep. they, they come in sizes of, I think they're called patio roses, where right. they're only on a short stem, maybe two, three feet. And then you can get some large tree form ones that are on a stem of four or five feet. And it just become the center of attention for the year. Should be great gifts for dad. I would think so. Just remember, color matters. Thanks for coming, Tom. Always a pleasure. And thanks to everybody for listening and joining in. We'll see you again next time.